This podcast is part of E2C Network, where we share the whole Auburn experience. Hello, and welcome to War Horses, the only college equestrian podcast that brings you an in-depth look at the Auburn equestrian scrimmage. I am your host, Auburn Elvis. Let's talk about some college equestrian. But before we get into the Auburn stuff, let's look at the meets that happened this weekend. First, we're going to take a look at Baylor at South Carolina. Now, the Gamecocks look pretty good at home. They're really starting off this season strong. In my projections, there were a lot of toss-ups in the matchups just because it was so early in the season, but it looked pretty evenly matched going in. Well, South Carolina took the flat 4-1, to one, and Baylor took horsemanship 3-2. to two. Then, during the halftime break, we learned that Baylor's lone point in the flat got a zero, so she must have gone off pattern or something, I guess, but what that meant was the Gamecocks swept the flat 5 to nothing and led 7-3 to three at the half, which was pretty big. Now, from my projections, Baylor still had a chance with their uh, Rainers coming back from last year. They're really good in that event, but I wasn't sure they could get enough points in uh, fences to catch back up. The Bears uh, took reigning 3-1, to one, but fences went 3-2 to two to South Carolina, making that final 11-8 to eight, a win for South Carolina. Now, this was pretty big. It's another early win for South Carolina. It justifies that national ranking. Actually, it kind of suggests that maybe they have been a little underranked. Um, it also helps put last season squarely in the past. Uh, I think we need to give a, a shout out here to freshman Natalie Jane, who was the MOP in both of the jumping seat meets. Uh, you don't want to put too much pressure on her because she is new and all, but she was essentially the difference between them winning and losing this weekend. So good job to Natalie and also to whomever recruited her to Columbia. Um, actually, I'm not kidding. You should get a bonus for that. Uh, for Baylor, this was a tough loss. This could have maybe sort of been avoided if they had limited their mistakes better, but, you know, they just need to shake it off and regroup, uh, before their, uh, meet the next day, you know, against Georgia. And let's talk about that. So going into this one, the matchup projections mostly favored Georgia, but there was enough uncertainty. The door was open for Baylor to come in and get the upset. And Baylor looked to be right there with Georgia, at least initially. Uh, the meet started out with fences and reigning. I had Georgia favored in three of the points in fences. They did one better than that, winning four to one. In reigning, I had all but one of the heads, head-to-heads a toss-up because basically it was very tight. Even though Baylor's good, you know, Georgia's got some decent reigners there, at least statistically. Well, Baylor is very good at reigning. Um, they won four to nothing with a no-point tie. So shout out to all those Baylor reigners. You got uh, MOP Jenna Messerstorf. You got Jessica Batten. You got Daisy Kaufman, Madeline Calloway, and Andy Pratt. And they got a dirty sweep in this event. So at the half, the meet was 5-4 to four Baylor, a little bit surprising for the Bears to be up, but, you know, Georgia, I figured, had the advantage in the uh, remaining events, so let's move on to those. In the flat, I like Georgia to get at least three points. They ended up winning 4-1, to one, so that tracks. Uh, then in horsemanship, I figured this one was going to be kind of up in the air, with Georgia maybe having a slight advantage. It ended 2-2 two to two with a no-point tie, so when you're adding all that up, that's a 10-8 to eight victory for the Bulldogs. Now, shout out to Georgia freshman uh, Tessa Brown in fences. She beat Baylor's Madison Mitchell, who was a top scorer for the Bears last season in that event. So if Brown can keep that do, keep doing that sort of thing, she's going to be a good one over there uh, for Georgia. 
So of these three teams that we just talked about, um, I think Georgia probably had the best performance overall. Baylor, I think, worked out some of the kinks in that second day. So, you know, they, they looked pretty good. I'd also say South Carolina probably had the second best weekend. They really wanted to keep momentum from those week one wins that they have, and they were certainly able to do that against Baylor. Um, like I said, for Baylor, you know, they fixed things after that uh, first uh, loss to South Carolina there and did okay against uh, Georgia. They still got some improvement to make, and they're going to have to do that because they've got a trip to Oklahoma State coming up in two weeks. That's going to be real tough. But they had a lot of good rides and rainings, and they're probably going to use those raining performances to sort of leverage that into some victories this season, see if they can get a few more points in the other events, and that's going to be their path to victory a lot of, a lot of weekends. Now, after those meets, we've got Texas A&M at Fresno State. So um, the Aggies have gone out to California here. They're going to roll through Fresno State and uh, UC Davis and do both of those in consecutive days. I did the matchup previews. This one looked uh, mostly favorable across the board for A&M. There's a little bit of uncertainty here that maybe an upset could happen, but um, for the most part, it went to Texas A&M. So in this one, uh, fences went 3-2 to two in favor of Fresno State. So pretty good for the home team there. They've got the advantage. Maybe they're going to pull that upset. In the horsemanship event, uh, it was split two to two. So that would give, you know, Fresno State the one point advantage there uh, halfway through it. But then that was kind of, uh, you know, things started really swinging the other way. In the flat, Texas A&M won that four to one, took the lead there, never really let go of it. In raining, Texas A&M won three to two. So that ends up with your final score uh, being, what is that, 11 to eight, something like that. So, yeah. It was kind of close, but, you know, it was one of those things where the more talented team probably won this. Um, no disrespect to Fresno State. I mean, they started out good. It's just they don't have that depth across the board that Texas A&M does. So that's what you get in that meet there. Moving right along, we've got Dartmouth at UT Martin. Now, this one was a jump and seat only event, a uh, jump and seat only meet, rather. So we got a decent picture of how the fences and flat lineups are going to be looking uh, like. Shout out to Skyhawks rider Sydney Hot, who won both the MOPs in uh, fences and flat, which basically, if your name is Hot, then you better be pretty good. And she was. So uh, Dartmouth had a rider, Chloe, uh, what is it? Tara Shishinko, who picked up the lone point and flat for the big green. So shout out to her. She, you know, defended the honor of her team and didn't let them get swept completely. Uh, UT Martin rode a Western scrimmage um, just amongst themselves to sort of fill out the meet and get more experience, but they didn't post that score sheet. So I'm going to hold off on the comments about their Western lineup. But from what I recall of their roster turnover from last year, there's going to be some open Western spots. So they're going to about to take a trip up to Delaware State. That's going to be our first real look at the Skyhawks uh, Western riders. Now, this wasn't a stellar showing for Dartmouth, but, you know, there's. it seems like they're still trying to get their footing as a program overall. Uh, they had some fun Instagram posts about the trip. It looked like everybody had fun. I kind of got the impression this was the first trip to Tennessee for a lot of them, but oh well. Um, but like I said, yeah, it looked like they enjoyed their, their experience of going on the road to a big school. So our next meet to look at is Texas A&M at UC Davis. So this is taking place the following day after that Fresno State meet. You know, even with the amount of talent that A&M lost, and they lost a fair amount of starters uh, due to graduation and uh, folks moving on, uh, they still figured to really outperform UC Davis, and they pretty much did. Uh, this one started out with fences and horsemanship, and those happened to be UC Davis's best event. So fences was tied 2-2, two to two, horsemanship went 3-2 to two to A&M. So it was 5-4 to four A&M at the half. 
Oh, here's a funny, interesting note. It apparently never dawned on the person who was tweeting out the A&M scores that both of these teams are named the Aggies because they just kept right on tweeting out, point Aggies, point Aggies, like that meant something, but it did not because they're both the Aggies. So need a little bit more clarification there the next time that happens, whoever the Twitter intern is that's running that. Now, in the second half, whenever they tweeted Aggies, there was a good chance you knew who it was because A&M won the flat 4-1, to and then they won reigning 5-0. to So almost every time it was Texas A&M. So the final score ended up being 14-5. to This was very convincing for the Aggies, and that's Texas A&M Aggies for all you maroon and black fans out there who, um, you know, got confused by Twitter. Uh, big win for them. Going out west, They uh, basically they cleaned up, and that's what uh, I think they probably expected. So now let's talk about the big meet that happened this weekend, SMU at Oklahoma State. Now, I really misjudged this meet going in. Uh, I didn't do a pre-meet matchup analysis of this one. I'm kind of glad I did not because I doubt I would have predicted this one going this way. Uh, although in hindsight, there are a lot of clues that we should have looked at and noticed, so try to do better about that. SMU has a decent amount of talent across the board. They they don't have quite as many superstars as other teams do, but they also do not have a lot of talent drop off after you get past those first you know three riders. Typically, for most teams, they've got those really good starters in position one, two, and three. And then four and five, they just kind of hope for the best. Well, SMU, there's really not that much drop-off from their first rider to their fifth rider. And so what that means is, regardless of how the random matchups uh, work out, there's not any one point that you're necessarily guaranteed to get against SMU. Um, so, and, you know, you can pretty much always count on, you're going to give up a couple of points to SMU because again, your fourth and fifth probably aren't as great as their fourth and fifth. So yeah, that's kind of how SMU was able to work through this meet here. So let's look at the actual events. Now for Oklahoma State, they do have a lot of superstars. Uh, they have nearly everyone returning from last year's national championship team. But of course, they do have some drop-off once you get into that fourth and fifth rider position. Uh, anyway, so when you look at the meet, uh, the first uh, event was fences and also horsemanship was running about that same time. In fences, the matchups looked very even. All the riders would end up being close on points. Uh, Oklahoma State won this event 3-2, to two, but it could have gone any number of ways. Horsemanship went 3-2 to two for SMU, and this was probably going to happen no matter how the draw went because, again, everybody on SMU's uh, lineup has a good shot at getting some points. Basically, this one was tied 5-5 five to five at the half, and yeah, very even. Next, in reigning, Oklahoma State went 3-2, to two, but they had part of this was their top rider in the event got a zero. Uh, in the, they did a review on that. I guess she went off pattern or over-rotated or something, and that tends to happen every once in a while in reigning. Her opponent, uh, Taylor Zimmerman, won the MOP on that. So, you know, it probably wasn't nothing to do with the horse. It was just, you know, these things happen. So that was probably the turning point in the meet right there is when that exchange happened because uh, basically I think that's a point that you OSU typically they expect to get that point from their rider and they did not so over on to the flat we go uh, SMU won this three to one which gave them the overall victory now there was some stuff going on where they had they issued a re-ride technically in raining at the end there so that everything was tied up nine nine going into that re-ride initially also, they thought the re-ride was tied, or at least they reported it that way at first, and then they were like, oh, wait, no, it actually is an SMU point, and so um, that gave them the, uh, the what is that, 10-9 to 9 victory? 
But frankly, I had already calculated the tiebreaker scores if it had been a tie 9-9, to and SMU was going to win anyway, chiefly because of that zero that uh, OSU had, had registered earlier in the meet. So this is a story where basically OSU, just as talented as they were last year, but they, you know, the, your most talented team doesn't always win, basically. Just go ask Auburn about their last two trips into the national championship tournament if you need more examples of that going on. Um, but, you know, this is going to be a good teaching moment for all those cowgirls. They're they're not going away. They're not just going to suddenly not be talented. They're still going to be one of the top teams all this year. This is really just a wake-up call for them. For SMU, they're also going to be right there in it in every meet. They are going to give up a point or two in every event, but they're also going to be guaranteed to get a point or two in every event. They're probably not going to get swept in anything this year. And and it really almost won't matter how the random matchup falls for SMU because every one of their riders has a decent shot at getting some points. So um, no opponent is going to have an easy time against the Mustangs this year. Now, when we come back from a short break, we're going to take a look at the Auburn scrimmage, how things went this weekend, and then we're going to do some previews of the upcoming meets. All right, welcome back. Now, let's take a look at the Auburn scrimmage. Now, this offseason, Auburn saw that its top two horsemanship starters and three of the top uh, reigning starters have all graduated and moved on. So, a lot of open spots on that western side. Over on the jumping seat side, there was a starter in fences and a starter in the flat that departed. So, got a few spots open there, but not nearly as many on the, on the western side. So what you're probably going to see in the jump and seat events is the typical four starters that we're used to in both of those events. And then Auburn will likely rotate several people through those last open spots until they settle on somebody that they're most comfortable with in each of those events. But over on the Western side, there's going to be a lot more open spots and a lot more um, competition to see who gets into the lineups each week. And you saw that reflected in how many Western riders uh, we saw on Saturday. Basically, anybody that has any connection to the Western team was on a horse doing some riding. We saw Olivia Tordoff not doing just her uh, usual role of anchoring horsemanship, but she was also trying out some reining patterns as well. Her sister, one of Auburn's promising freshman Western riders, also rode in both of those events. In horsemanship, we'll probably see these following riders work their way into the saddle at some point this season. We have freshman Lauren Hall, who won her point, freshman Caroline Friedenberg, who did the same, and senior Rachel Hootman, who fell to Olivia Tordoff's uh, MOP ride but still had a great score. In reigning, we saw some good performances from junior Kate Buchanan, who took home the MOP. Her sister and new freshman Caroline Buchanan also won her point Saturday. And junior Olivia Marino, who we've seen a fair amount uh, last season, she won her point over uh, regular starter Isabella Tesmer on Saturday. We also saw a typical starter Boo Cameron take her point as well. So it looks like Auburn might be in a familiar spot this year where they're basically hoping to grab a whole bunch of points on the jumping seat side and then just kind of make it through some growing pains on that western side. Now, a lot of this is also going to come down to how well the Western group trains and prepares under new coach Taylor Searles. That's a lot of responsibility that she's stepping into, um, and we'll see how that goes. So now let's take a look at the upcoming meets this weekend. First, we're going to look at TCU at Delaware State. Now, I think the Horned Frogs are going to pretty much roll in this one. They looked really good against Texas A&M in week one, and I think they'll probably overmatch Delaware State from start to finish. Next, let's look at UT Martin at Delaware State. Delaware State could beat UT Martin at home. 
The Hornets have had a few more meets to get into a groove, so that's certainly going to help them. I kind of expect UT Martin to win, uh, but the fact that we haven't seen their Western Rider yet makes me a little hesitant just to come right out and predict that. I think this ends up going to whichever team does better on that Western side. Next, we've got TCU versus UT Martin. This will be a neutral site meet. I like the Horned Frogs in this one. I think UT Martin just doesn't have the depth that TCU does. Uh, Now, in these neutral site meets, a lot of times you could see coaches rotate in one or two riders that might not start in a high-stakes meet, and that kind of opens the door for the underdog to maybe swing in and get some points that they wouldn't normally get. Very rarely that turns into an upset. I doubt that's going to happen, but if UT Martin were to win this, it would probably be one of those kind of situations. And last year, we did see TCU give up this kind of a meet on the road. So we'll see. But I don't think that's going to happen, but it could happen. Next, we've got Sweetbriar at Lynchburg. This is a jump and seat only meet. This is actually a rematch of the national championship meet that happened back in April. And if you've listened to this podcast before at all, you probably know two things. One, that Lynchburg won that meet. And two, that Sweetbriar has pretty much won all the other times they've faced. Lynchburg uh, destroyed Dartmouth in week one, but Sweetbriar is on a different level than Dartmouth is. So, and basically, Sweetbriar's not going anywhere. They they're they're not invulnerable, but they are really talented. And I think Sweetbriar is going to beat them again this weekend. So, we've got another meet here: uh, South Carolina at Texas A and M. As good as South Carolina looks so far, I think the Aggies are going to get the win at home. Their trip out west seems to have gotten them more opportunities to sort of sort out whatever um, uh, question marks they had about their less experienced riders and how they're going to fit into the lineup. I imagine that they're going to be just a little bit too much for South Carolina in College Station. If this were happening over at South Carolina, it might be different, but it's in Texas, so I'm going to give this one to the Aggies. And now let's turn our attention to what is probably the meat of the week, Auburn at Georgia. As we know, Georgia had their first meet already against Baylor. They won that, whereas Auburn has only ridden in an inter-squad scrimmage so far, and I think this is going to be a tough test for the Tigers. Georgia and Auburn both have very similar strengths and weaknesses, so this could go any number of ways. Both aren't super great in reigning, so we could see one team get the advantage there, and that ends up deciding the whole meet. Or we could see that they both do about the same in reigning and they just sort of split the points and they just kind of does that in every event back and forth all day long. That's kind of what I expect to happen. Now, as optimistic as Western coach Taylor Sherrills might be, I think they're going to have a lot to prove right out of the gate on the road against a very good Georgia team. And I think that might be a little too much to ask for a rebuilding Western squad that Auburn seems to have. I think it's going to be close. Probably a one-point, maybe two-point victory, but I think it's going to go to Georgia at home. If this were in Auburn, I'd probably pick Auburn, but it's at Georgia where Georgia looked really good against Auburn uh, last year. So I'm going to stick with the Bulldogs in this one. So that's how I expect the upcoming week to go, but of course, it's never that easy. So you should definitely keep up with me on social media while I try to make sense of everything that's going on, usually all at the same time. And that's all for this episode of War Horses. I am your host, Auburn Elvis. I thank you very much for listening and War Horses. 
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode on the E2C Network. On your way out, I want to remind you to stop by E2Cnetwork.com. It's your one-stop shop for all our content across our podcast, YouTube channel, and much more. To stay up to date with us, make sure you're following social media accounts such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. While our content here may always be Auburn sports heavy, if it's orange and blue, it's what we do. War Eagle.